Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 is we're going to spend our time together this morning. Romans 3, 21 through 26. This is such a rich passage of Scripture, so rich, in fact. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at this passage of Scripture because I think it's been really help for, helpful for us as we think about how to be more effective in sharing the gospel. So Romans 3, 21 through 26, we'll really just get started this morning. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, Romans is not too difficult to find. Just go to the New Testament and find the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you'll come to the book of Acts. And then right after the book of Acts, you'll find Romans, Romans 3, 21 through 26. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay because in the seat before you, down in the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Romans 3 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Romans 3, 21 through 26. We'll read that together in just a moment. So we received back this week uh, a team that went to Indonesia and hopefully over the next couple of weeks, you'll hear more about their trip and, and how God used them in Indonesia. But, but Logan and Andy and Joshua uh, went to Indonesia. Half the time they were there, they were sick with some kind of stomach bug, but hey, they had a great trip anyway. Uh, but they're going to share with us lots about what God did. I'm I'm very thankful that that uh, from our church, I know COVID kind of slowed us down a little bit because of international travel, but historically we've been able to send lots of teams on international mission trips. And that's a great joy that we have here at Northwood is to be able to do that. And I think a lot of you in this room, at some point in your life, you've probably been on an international trip, whether it was a mission trip or some other kind of trip. Uh, a lot of you've left the country before. Um, I've had the opportunity over the years to, to uh, be on lots of international mission trips. And those international mission trips that I've been on over the years have been really transformative for me. I remember years ago, I don't remember how long it was, probably 11 or 12 years ago, I took my first trip to China and I went back and forth to China, I don't know, for five or six years and just really grew to love that country and, and the work that God is doing there. Uh, the first time I went to China, I went to this city called Xinyang. Xinyang is a huge city. It seems like every city in China is huge, but Xinyang has a population of about 8 million people. That's bigger than New York City. And Xinyang, geographically, it's not that big. It, it's not much larger geographically than, than Charleston. I mean, can you imagine 8 million people in our city? I mean, it's big enough, right? But you over there in Chinyang, people are on top of each other. I mean, traffic is horrible, as you can imagine. Everywhere you go, it's people. It's that kind of thing, right? And I was walking the streets of Chinyang one afternoon with, with some people that I was with on this trip, and we saw this. We saw in Chinyang the Walmart. 
Because why wouldn't there be a Walmart in Chinyang? Honestly, there's not only a Walmart, there's also an Ikea in Chinyang. Terrible, I know, right? But at any rate, that's their problem, not mine. And so they had this Walmart there. And so I was curious as to what a Walmart in China would be like and, and if it would be different than a Walmart like on Rivers Avenue. So let's hope it is. And so, so at any rate, I, I walked into the Walmart in Chinyang and walked up and down the aisles and I saw a couple things that, that I thought were kind of interesting. I saw, for example, uh, a bunch of big fish. So, so I don't know when the last time it was you went to Walmart. If you're like my wife, you're there every other day. I have no idea how often you go. But in, in a lot of Walmarts, you can still go to the aquatic aisle, right? And buy your pet fish. You can get your goldfish, your beta, bring it home. Everybody's happy. So they had these big fish. That's kind of a big fish to put in an aquarium, but whatever. So I, I walked a little bit further and then I saw this. I saw some turtles and these little squiggly things, right? Like get your turtle from Walmart, your fish from Walmart. The problem was, is that the fish and the turtles were not on the pet aisle. They were in the seafood section. Isn't that wild? And I don't know how the conversation goes at home, right? You got this couple sitting around, like what are we gonna have for dinner tomorrow night? I don't know, why don't you go to Walmart and get some turtles, right? I mean. And he goes to Walmart, grabs a couple of turtles, comes home and he fries them up. I have no idea, but I was not expecting to see in the Walmart, in the food section, live turtles, you know? But that's kind of the culture there. And, and over the course of my times in China, I, I, and I know they've kind of gotten a bad rap with COVID and all that, but those wet markets, I've been quite, to quite a few wet markets in China. They're fascinating to see what, what the people there will purchase and eat. Now, if, if, you know, people from a different culture come to the United States and walk around our Walmart, they might think it's kind of different as well, right? But here's the beauty about international travel. When you go on an international trip, you can't help but notice differences, how one culture is different than the other. You can't help but notice that. And even here in the States, we can tell the differences between cultures. Some of you moved here from, from up north and now you're down south. And you would say, yeah, there's some differences in Southern culture that are, that are you know, a bit different than, than what it was in my Northern culture or vice versa. Some of you grew up in the South and you moved up North and you moved back and all those kinds of things. You can tell the differences. And even in this room, I know most of in this room, we're, we're, we're kind of similar. We, we, we live in the same city and we live in the same community. We, most of us in this room are followers of Jesus. And so we would say, yeah, we have a lot of similarities, but even in this room, there are a lot of differences between us. We're the kind of people, aren't we, uh, that we like to talk about our differences, whether it's difference of opinion, difference of political persuasion. We tend to notice very clearly the differences we have with one another. Now, we might have lots of differences among us. We might have lots of differences with people around the world, but there's one thing that we all have in common. One thing that every single person on the face of the planet shares in common with everybody else. Apart from the grace of God, apart from the saving grace of God in relationship with Christ Jesus, every person on the face of the planet is destined for hell. That is a weighty reality because every person on the face of the planet has a problem, a huge problem. And the problem that we all face isn't the threat of nuclear war. The problem we all face isn't the threat of global hunger or economic recession across the world. The problem that every person on the face of the planet shares in common is sin. Now, here we are 
in a series of messages we just started last week called Conversations That Connect because we're convinced that it's our job as the people of God to enter into a world that is plagued by sin and bring solution, the hope of the gospel. And so how do we do it? How do we have conversations with people about their greatest problem? How do we have conversations about the reality of sin and the reality that sin, apart from the saving grace of God, destines us for an eternity in hell? How do we have that conversation? Paul has that conversation with us. And this is a rich passage of scripture. And and so as we walk through this passage this morning, we really are gonna go back to Christianity 101, the basics of the faith. And for some of us, I know this will be reviewed. For some of us, this might be new. I have no idea, but I know this is gonna be helpful for all of us. We're gonna look at three truths from this passage of scripture that we need to consider when we have conversations with people who are far from God about the world's greatest problems. So take your Bibles, look at Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. And if you have that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Romans chapter three, verses 21 through 26. Listen to what the Bible says. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there's no distinction for all have sinned, verse 23, and all fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace uh, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time to be together in your word. Now, Father, as we uh, study your word together, I pray that you would continue to do a work of grace in us and continue to, with, to do a work within us that renews our desire to be faithful to share the good news of Jesus. Father, we have people that we love dearly who are far from you. And you and your sovereignty have placed them in our lives that we might be the ones to share the hope of the gospel with them. So Father, I pray that during this time, you continue to instruct us and continue to compel us to be faithful to your call in our lives. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So if you were here last week, we were in Romans last week as well. In fact, last week, we looked at the opening verses of Romans chapter 9, and we saw Paul's heart, that Paul was this missionary to the Gentiles, but he had this desire to see the people that he knew and loved, his own kinsmen, his own Jewish people, his own Jewish brothers and sisters come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul has never been to the church of Rome before, but he wants to go to Spain. And he's going to stop in Rome on the way to Spain. And and he wants the church at Rome to support him, to even support him financially as he makes his way to Spain. And so so Paul writes this lengthy letter uh, to help these believers in Rome understand exactly what he believes about Jesus Christ. And this whole book is masterful. And these first few chapters of Romans are really, really profound. We don't have time, obviously, to walk through verse by verse uh, the first few chapters of Romans in the short time we have together this morning. But consider what Paul says. So in the first chapter, Paul is talking about the Gentile people and how Gentile people, right, have, have turned from God. 
They've suppressed the truth about God and they have turned to idolatry. Let me show you a couple of things. For example, you see verse 18 in chapter one. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You come down to to verse 21 and and it, it says something like this. For his... His invisible attributes, that is his eternal uh, power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the beginning, excuse me, since uh, being understood what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. And so Paul is talking about, about Gentile people who are pagans, who have turned to idolatry. And if you were a, a Jewish believer and you were reading these words, you would say, yep, that's right. Those Gentiles, they're, they're just a bunch of pagans. They're idolaters. They do all kinds of crazy things. But then you come to chapter two and listen to what chapter two, verse one says. He turns to the Jewish people and he says, listen, therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. He says, listen, you're judging these Gentile people you're saying, man, what pagans they are, but you ain't no different. You're sinful as well. And in Romans chapter three, what Paul does is Paul is, is so amazing what he does. He takes their own Bible, the Old Testament, the sacred scripture, and he says to these Jewish believers, this is who you are. It's not just who the Gentiles are, it's who you are as well. Everybody, everybody, everybody on the face of the planet without exception is sinful by nature and by choice. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 10 of chapter three, as it is written. And if you look in your Bible, it's probably like mine uh, that, that the typeface of the verses that follow are either all caps or all bold, kind of signifying to you that he's quoting from the Old Testament. You can look in your reference notes in your Bible and see exactly where he's quoting from. But, but he writes this, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. No person, no person on the face of the planet is righteous. Everyone has sinned. In fact, you know what the verse says. We read it in in chapter three, verse 23, where Paul says what? You memorize this verse. If you grew up in the church, when you were in kindergarten or first grade, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. That is all. He makes no exceptions. Every one of us have sinned against God. Now, in those five or six minutes, I didn't tell you anything that you probably didn't know. You knew that. You know that we're all sinners in need of a savior. You know what sin is, don't you? I don't know the last time you tried to define sin. When, when I was in North Augusta, we led a, a Bible club in a, a local school. And, and when we talked to the elementary kids at that local school, we defined sin in, in this way. Sin is anything you think, say, or do that is dishonoring to the Lord. That's a pretty good definition. When you think about the, the, the word sin and the Greek language, the, the word Paul uses, is, it carries with this idea of, of missing the mark. I, I brought a picture of a target. You know what a target looks like and, and you know what a, a bullseye looks like and, and, and you know that, that when you're throwing darts, the, the goal is to hit the bullseye. If you don't hit the bullseye, you've missed it, right? And so if you think of the bullseye uh, for God, it, it's his standard, that God has a standard for his people. When you read through the Bible, you can't help but see what God's standard is, that he wants us to be like him. He wants us to be perfect like he is perfect, holy like he is holy, but therein lies the problem. We're not. 
And we're constantly what? We're constantly missing the mark. When we sin, we rebel against God's standard and we miss the mark. And now notice this. If you throw a dart, if you hit outside of here, outside the bullseye, have you missed the mark? Yes, you might be close, but you still missed the mark. If you go back to the, the target, if you don't mind, if you hit outside of here, have you missed the mark? Yes, whether you're here or here, you've missed the mark. If you're way off the board, you missed the mark. Wherever you hit outside of the bullseye is still a miss, right? And that's what sin is. Little sin, big sin, anything in between, it's all sin. It's all missing the mark. And, and, and here's what I think. The reason why we miss the mark so often, the reason why you and I sin so often is, is in part because we're not even aiming for this. You see what I'm saying? Is that for many of us, what we've done with our lives is we've created another target, a target that we want to hit, a target that we try to hit desperately every single day, a target of accomplishing our own will for our own lives a target of I can find my own pleasure and happiness apart from God. That's the dartboard we're playing on. And that's the dartboard we're shooting on. Do you follow me? And so oftentimes we're not even trying to aim at God's mark whatsoever. We're trying to hit another mark that we ourselves have created. And why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because listen, listen, here is the heart of sin. We are all what? Extremely, extremely, extremely self-centered. Let me show you this first truth. And I, I know this is, isn't anything you don't know, but we have all rebelled against God. Why? Because we are self-centered. You know this like I do. You think about you more than you think about anybody else. You oftentimes want your will to be accomplished more than you want anything else in life. Not only are you and I self-centered, we're self-indulgent. Oh, I, I just want to fulfill the passions of my life. If it feels good, or if I think it's good, if, if, I, if I like it, I want it, right? Or think about this, we are self-confident. I can do it. I, I can chart my own path. I can, I can get what I want. If I just try hard enough, I can do it. And we're constantly trying to be, build self-esteem. I just want you to see, right, how important I am. I can do this. I can have it. I can get it. Why? Because I am somebody. I am important. So important, in fact, that I can even, if I want to, impress God with my actions. And then I become what, church? I become self righteous. I don't need God. I've got it all figured out myself. I can even impress God by my good works. That's who you and I are. That's rebellion. Rebellion is this focus, not on the glory of God. All fall short of the glory of God. Why do we fall short of the glory of God? Because we're focused on what church? Our own glory. Selfishness, self-centered, self-seeking, self-indulgent, self-righteous, that is rebellion. And, and what happens is then we begin to do what, church? We bury that problem of sin deep within us and we pretend like sin within us doesn't even exist, like it's not a problem. I read a story this week about um, a family lived in Silicon, the Silicon Valley in California. And I don't know when it, the last time it was that you went out to California. Maybe never, I've never been out there. Silicon Valley, I don't know when it was the last time you went out there. I've never been out there. But I know it's an expensive place to live, right? 
And so this couple bought this house in 12,000 square feet on 1.5 acres land, tennis court, swim pool, a gated community. They paid 15 point something million dollars for their house. Can you imagine the monthly note on that? And so they bought this house and, and man, they love it. It's beautiful. And so, so when you buy a house like that, you want to make sure it kind of reflects who you are. And so, so they wanted to do some landscaping. And so they brought in a crew to do some landscra- landscaping and that crew got out there and got to work and they got the shovels out and they got to digging and pulling up some bushes and all that kind of thing. And when they got to doing some digging, they put that shovel down and they hit a piece of metal. And they hit it and they hit it hard. And, and so, so they called the owners out. Let's figure out what this is, you know. And about four or five feet down in the ground, they began to dig out and dig out and dig out. And what they uncovered was a Mercedes. Wild, huh? Somebody had buried a Mercedes five feet under the ground at this residence. Why? No idea. They called the cops out. They brought the sniffing dogs out. They couldn't find any trace of like somebody's dead body in there, anything like that. All they found, now watch this, all they found in the Mercedes were a bunch of bags of concrete. Who knows? But a Merce- can you imagine digging up a Mercedes in your front yard? That might be a good thing. I have no idea. But, but that's what, that buried deep down in the dirt was a Mercedes. And I'll tell you that, I'll tell you this. They had no idea. And, and in your life, you probably oftentimes have no idea of the effects of sin on your life because you've kind of buried it down ignoring it because you are in pursuit of something else. You're not in pursuit of holiness or God's glory. You're in pursuit of your own desires, rebelling against God. You see, we are all, we have all rebelled against God. And I know you know this truth too. Not only have we all rebelled against God, but we are all separated from God. Now, come on, let me show you again what the text says. And again, we're going to get into much more detail in this passage next week, but I just want to show you again, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, you know that. You know that, that you're a sinner. But you and I also know our attitudes towards sin. Our attitude towards sin is oftentimes what? Oops, I didn't mean to do that. And we treat it like it's just this casual mistake that we make from time to time. I might have told you a story before. In fact, I probably did, but it's a fun story to tell again. So, so years ago, um, when, when I lived in North Augusta, I, my, my, one of my daily routines was to stop by uh, the gas station uh, and, and to get a Coke Zero. I love Coke Zero. I drink way too much of it. So I'd stop by and get one of those 69 cents. At that time, now with inflation, it's like $4.33. But back in the day, it's like 69 cents. You get a 44-ounce Coke Zero, and life was good. And so I, I stopped and got my Coke Zero. And at that time, I was driving a, a, a red 2008 Mazda Tribute. It was a beautiful little car. It was, you know, this nice little SUV. It had a sunroof, mother seats. Man, I love that little car. And so I got out and, and, and I got my Coke Zero and then I came back out and I got back into my car and, and some things were kind of odd when I got into my car. Like the engine was running. And I didn't remember leaving the engine on. That was kind of odd to me. And, and it didn't feel like the, the seat was quite right. And, and, and the mirror didn't seem quite right. And I was, and I put my hands on the steering wheel to back out and the, the steering wheel was fuzzy. And all of a sudden I saw the biggest man I'd ever seen in my life walk out of the front door of that gas station. He must've been seven foot eight, 435 pounds of nothing but muscle. And he looked at the car that I was sitting in, which apparently was not my car. And he said, what are you doing in my car? To which I 
I can't tell you what happened because it was kind of embarrassing. But, but anyway, I, 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 the car looked just like mine. It was the exact same color Mazda Tribute as mine was parked right next to mine. I had gotten in the wrong car. And, and so all I could say was, man, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And, and that happens, right? We make mistakes, but that's not what sin is. Sin is not simply a mistake that you make. Let me show you something. And I just really want to show you one phrase, but turn over to Romans chapter five and let me show you this verse. Romans five, Romans five is a wonderful chapter here in the book of Romans. And and in verse 10, this is what Paul writes. I'm gonna read the whole verse, but I want to show you really one phrase. Look at what he says in Romans 5, 10. Everybody with me? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? What a powerful verse. But look at that one phrase. While we were what church? Enemies. You don't think of yourself that way. And I promise you that person that you know and love who's lost, they don't think of themselves that way either. That's who you were. Before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were an enemy of God. You had made yourself an enemy of God. Because what you did, maybe you didn't think this in your mind consciously, but unconsciously in your sin, what you were saying to God is what? In your sin, you were saying over and over again, God, I defy you. You're not in authority in my life. I'm in authority. You don't know what's best for me. I know what's best. My will is better than your will. I don't need you. I can figure this out. That's who you were before you came to faith in Christ. You looked at God in the eye and you said, no, not your will, my will. I don't need you. That's what you do apart from God. You go to a war against God. You had made yourself his enemy. You see, sin isn't just a mistake that you make. It is a condition of life where you in your own will choose to go against God and live for yourself. And the problem is, right, over the course of your life, you have not committed one sin. You've committed how many sins? You want to count them up? Millions of them. You see, before you came to Jesus Christ, your life was a life of rebellion, separated from him by choice. You chose to rebel and separate yourself from God because you thought, now listen, come on, come on close. Listen, listen, you thought by pursuing your sin, good things would come because that's the lie that sin tells you. Sin tells you, doesn't it? If you follow me, if you follow the ways of this world, if you give in to your desires, you'll find what? That happiness you're looking for, that satisfaction, that joy, that peace. That's what sin tells you. And let's be honest, In the moment that you sin, it kind of feels that way. There is something pleasurable in the moment about sin. But you also know this, and this is what's so ironic. Sin lies to you and tells you, if you give in to your sin, if you give in to your desire, if you rebel against God's will, if you reject his standard, if you shoot for your own target instead of his target, right? You'll be satisfied. You have peace you have joy. That is the lie that the enemy tells you. The enemy tells you that's the fruit of sin. But the reality is you know what the fruit of sin really is. The fruit of sin is what? Guilt, shame, fear, 
Come on now. For that person who's rejected God all of his life, at some point or another, that person will look back over the course of his life and see that he has wasted his life pursuing his own desires. And he or she will say what? I have some regrets, right? I shouldn't have done that. Come on now, every one of us, when we sin, and some of us, I get it that sometimes our hearts are hard and it takes us some time to come to this reality. But at some point for all of us who've sinned against God, come on now, there comes a point where you experience that guilt, where you look back and say, oh, I messed this up. I shouldn't have. I did the wrong thing. I sinned against God. And then that guilt leads to what? Shame. And you know what shame is, don't you? It's that humiliation. It's what Adam and Eve felt in the garden when they sinned against God and they tried to what? To hide from God. Because you want to do that too. In that shame, you want to hide from God as well. In that shame, you back off from the church. You back off from people who care about you and love you. And you isolate yourself. Why? Because you're guilty and you're ashamed. And then what happens? You get really fearful. What's going to happen? What's going to happen when my sin finds me out? What are the consequences going to be? Are people going to love me anymore? Are they going to reject me? What's going to happen? You see what I'm saying? Sin promises us good things, pleasure, happiness, joy. But that's not all what sin gives us. The fruit, come on now, come on, listen to me because some of you need to hear this. The fruit of sin is always, always, always guilt, shame, and fear. But every single one of us in this room at some point have chosen to give into our sin. And we've all experienced it. Guilt, shame, and fear. We've all rebelled against God. And because we've rebelled against God by nature and by choice, that sin separates us from God. Now watch this, final truth. And we are all dead without God. Now listen to what Paul says. And again, once again, we're gonna get into this great detail when we come back together next week. But Paul talks about in verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there's no distinction. Then verse 23, which you all read, but you come down to verse 24, they are justified freely by his grace. That word justified, we're gonna talk about next week, but this idea of being made right with God by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, these are wonderful verses. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul gives us this truth, right? We've looked at this passage numerous times over the course of our time together these last six years. But Ephesians chapter two, Paul says what? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. Do you know what it means to be dead? It means to be dead, right? Dead is dead. And you know what a dead person cannot do? A dead person can never give himself or herself life. It is not possible for a dead person to give himself or herself life unless a miracle happens. And this is the good news, right? You think about Romans 1 through 3, what Paul has been telling us is the bad news that everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has missed the mark. And because of that, we are separated from God. We deserve hell. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin, what you earn for your sin, what you deserve for your sin is death, eternal death. But the gift of God, 
Romans 3, 24, God, by his grace, has justified you in Christ. You are dead. And what God has done, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room this morning, what God has done is God has worked a miracle in your life. You, my friend, whether you realize it or not, as a follower of Jesus, you are a walking miracle because God has taken a dead person. That's who you were. And he has given you life. He's woken up your heart to him. You see what I'm saying? This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the good news. We're gonna talk much more about this good news next week, but let's just think about this reality. Before Paul gives us the good news, he tells us the bad news. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the reality. Here's what I found out over the years. We have a hard time talking with people about the bad news, but it's necessary because someone can't understand the good news until they understand the bad news. Sharing the gospel is not saying, hey, God bless you. Sharing the gospel isn't saying, hey, God loves you. Those are great statements, but that's not sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is saying to someone, hey, you got a problem, so do I, but there's a solution. And so we're going to have gospel conversations. You, you can't gloss over this. If you're going to share the truth with somebody and give them real hope, you can't gloss over the reality of sin because sin is our greatest problem. Sin is what separates humanity from God. And because of sin, every person who's apart from God is dead and will experience, unless they turn from their sins and turn to God by faith in Christ Jesus, will experience eternity in hell. That's the scriptural reality. And so what that means for us is I've got to learn how to talk about sin. And so if I'm going to talk with people about sin, I've got to speak with love, knowing that all are sinners, but all are made in the image of God. Because here's the reality. Here's the reality. The reason why you and I have a hard time talking to people about their sinfulness and offering them biblical hope, you know why we have a problem? It's because we're really judgmental. There's some people we just don't want to share the gospel with, right? We, we don't want to because, because our judgmental hearts towards them. I was reminded of this this week. And, and, and listen, I'm a pastor, right? I'm supposed to be really good at this. Like, I'm, that's my job, be a good Christian, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's kind of what I do, you know what I'm saying? But, but this week, I mean, we were riding the car and Stacy got a text message from a friend that said, you need to pray for this other friend because this is going on and y'all need to pray for this person. And I'm like, and I told, these were the, these were, with, without even thinking about it, without hesitation, without even giving it any thought, immediately, in nanoseconds after Stacy said, we need to pray for this person, I said, I don't want to. And I meant it. Because this person has done some really dumb things. And because of this person's choices, it's wreaked havoc on others. And I'm mad. I'm mad about what this person has done. It breaks my heart. I, I, I hurt for people that he's hurt. I mean, I'm, I'm just mad about it. And I told my wife, I don't want to pray for him. But that person, those people that I don't want to minister to, that I don't want to pray for because of my own judgmental heart, my own anger, are the very people that God wants me to extend grace to. You see what I'm saying? What I've got to remember is, is every person, every person, even the most hardened criminal on death row, this is going to blow your mind, is made in the image of God. Second Peter 3, 9, Peter writes and says, man, listen, this is God's desire. 
God's desire is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. What holds you back sometimes from sharing the gospel is your own judgmental heart. Right, or think about this. I need to learn how to speak with love, knowing that all are sinners, but all are made in the image of God. Now I need to learn how to speak of brokenness. I mean, this is where we can have some common ground. What we do it here at Northwood, when we teach people how to share the gospel, we use a simple tool that you might be learning right now in your Life Connection group that, that Pastor Trey's gonna make sure that everybody has a, a copy of it at some point. But going to the next slide, if you don't mind, we use this tool called the Three Circles because we just found it to be really, really helpful to communicate some basic gospel truths. Now, let me just be honest with you and give me a few minutes to talk through this. I have never sat down and taken a napkin and drawn these circle out, circles out for anybody. But here's what, how this has helped me. When I've been in conversation, uh, these circles sometimes are in my mind and give me a frame of reference as I walk somebody through the gospel message. And obviously it starts with God's design. Because here's what I found out over the years, that, that it doesn't take much to convince people that we live in a broken world. I can sit down with someone who has literally no Bible exposure and they'll agree with me that this world isn't what it should be. It's broken. Things are bad. We can all agree on that. Well, why is that? And then I can walk backwards and say, hey, this is not what the God of the universe intended. When God created the world, it was good. And in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, they lived with God in a relationship with him that was not a broken relationship, a good relationship. But something happened. They sinned. And when they sinned against God, when they rebelled, from that point on, every person to ever live would follow in their footsteps and sin as well. And the result of that sin is now that this entire world is broken. And you, you've done the same thing that they did. And I have too. We have all sinned. And so these first two circles are in my mind. And over the years, I've had lots of opportunities to share the gospel. These first two circles are in my mind. And what I try to do is just walk through these gospel truths. Hey, in the Bible, in Genesis 2, this is what it says. In Genesis chapter 3, this is what happened. In Romans 3.23, and I'll use those scriptures. I'll just say those verses. That person I'm sharing the gospel with might not have any idea what a Romans is. You understand? But when I say that Romans 3.23 says, even though they might not be familiar with the Bible, I am showing them that I'm getting this from a source of authority. I'm not making these things up, right? And so I'm claiming authority as I share the gospel. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me. Romans 6.23 says what we deserve is death. And so I just simply start walking through this, right? But I'm reminding people as I share the gospel with them, of brokenness. Go back to that slide if you don't mind. And so, so, so I, 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 I speak with love, knowing that all are sinners, but all are made in the image of God. And I speak of brokenness. Now watch this. And I try to speak humbly, but not lightly. Now here's what I mean by that. We tend to go in two different directions when it comes to thinking about people who are outside of faith in Jesus Christ. One, we're way too light. What I mean by that is, who am I? Who am I to tell that person they're wrong, right? I mean, after all, doesn't God want us to be happy? And so if God wants us to be happy, I mean, you just do you and I'll do me and it'll all work out in the end. And we never address the problem. 
We'll say things like, God bless you, and God just wants you to be happy, and you know, God wants this for you, and God wants that. And we never get to the reality that we're separated from God because we've rebelled against God because we're self-centered and self-seeking, right? We never get to the point where we talk about, hey, apart from Christ, you're his enemy because you've gone to war against him. You see what I'm saying? Some of us are far too light when it comes to sin, and we just want everybody to be happy. But, but last time I read scripture, I don't read a lot of scriptures where, where the Bible says God just wants you to be happy. What I do read is God certainly does want you to be holy. And the only way to be holy is to fall before him and let his son do a work in you and transform you. God is far more concerned about you being holy than he is about you being happy. And if your misery makes you holy, I think God's okay with that. You see what I'm saying? But some of us take sin far too lightly. But then there's the under, other end of the spectrum that we can all fall in sometimes as well. Well, let's just condemn everybody to hell. You see what I'm saying? And some of us get just so judgmental. Where, well, that person over there, he's horrible and she's horrible and God can't even help that person over there. And, and so we tend to go to two opposite ends of the spectrum where we completely ignore sin or we just condemn everybody to hell. There's no hope for them at all, Right? When the reality is, man, that person who's outside of Christ has the same problem that I have, sin. And so when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, I can be honest. Hey, my sin might not be your sin. You may have done this. I haven't done that, but I have done this. And this sin, right, has caused me to be guilty before God. It might not be that, but it's th- that's humility. We're all in the same boat. This is my problem. That's your problem. But what I've found is hope for my problem. His name is Jesus. And I want you to find that hope as well. You can have your sins forgiven by crying out to the one who died in your place and rose again. Do you see? It's understanding that, that I'm not better than someone at all, but, but there is a Christ who is making me into his image. And I want to share that Christ. And so in that gospel conversation, I'll do it all the time. I'll just try to be really honest. Hey, I know this is what you're struggling with. I'm not struggling with that, but let me tell you, I've got my own struggles. But God has saved me. He's redeeming me. And he can do the same for you. I want to speak humbly, but not lightly. And finally, I want to speak of desperation. Like I've got one hope. You hear me? I've got one hope. My one hope in life is Jesus. That's it. At the end of the day, he's all I got. He's all you have as well. And, and going on Amazon.com or going to your favorite bookstore and walking up and down the, the self help aisle is not going to give you the hope that will change your life. Watching Dr. Phil in the afternoon, I mean, that's fine, but the hope's not there. You see what I'm saying? The hope for your soul is only inside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so speaking of that desperation, that, that, that he's it, he's the only one. And being clear in that gospel presentation that, that yes, sin has separated us. We live in a broken world because of sin, but there is one who is our hope, who can restore us. He said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And being bold enough to explain to someone, hey, here is your hope. It's not in yourself, it's not in this, it's in Christ and Christ alone. You see, that's the good news. But to be able to share that good news, you have to be willing to talk about the bad news. And here's what I know, that this week, if you took the challenge last week and you wrote down names of people that you have influence over 
in your family, in your school, coworkers. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. There's someone right now in your circle of influence who's lost, who right now is eaten up with guilt, eaten up with shame, and eaten up with fear. What an opportunity for you. Because when someone understands their guilt, shame, and fear, what a moment for you to walk in and offer real life-changing grace. You see what I'm saying? You just need to be sensitive to that. I need to be sensitive to that. I need to be sensitive to the reality that yes, I know people who are doing some really dumb stuff right now. I'm doing some dumb stuff too probably, right? But in the midst of those sinful choices they're making, they're probably right now feeling it. The guilt and the shame and the fear. And if you were sensitive to what the Spirit of God is doing, you would obey his voice and you begin to offer that person some hope. And you'd be honest and know where you are. I've been there too. But here's what God has done in my life through his son, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. He can do it in yours as well. That's how you begin the conversation is by starting with the bad news. Now, next week in Romans 3, we're gonna start talking about the good news. But you and I have to be willing to have this conversation about the bad news. And here you are in this room. We're about to end our time together. Some of you this morning in this room, you're overwhelmed with guilt, shame, and fear. And there's hope for you. Because if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today is your day to hear the gospel. Good news. There is a God that loves you so much. He gave his son Jesus for you, who died the death that you deserve, who went to a cross and died in your place, taking the penalty of your sin upon himself. And then three days later, rose from the dead to make you right before God. So all of your sins could be forgiven and you could be brought into a restored relationship so you could go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God, a friend of God. And this morning, if you'll embrace Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you can be forever saved. If you're watching online, you're gonna see a number up here on the screen. Text the name Jesus to that number. We'll reach out to you today and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're in this room, I'll be down front. And if today is your day to give your life to Jesus, just come down front. I'd love to take you by the hand, pray with you, and help you today begin a relationship with the one who wants to save you gloriously and forever. You're in this room this morning and you're a follower of Jesus. Right now, here's what I I believe. Right now, God is laying on your heart somebody, somebody that he wants you to focus in on and pray for this morning. Somebody that he wants you right now. In that list of 10 people that you wrote out last week, there's one, one right now that's coming to mind. I want you right now to pray for that one. And I want you right now to ask God to give you the opportunity to talk to that person this week about the bad news, Oh, and the oh-so-good news. So I have a time of invitation. You respond to the Spirit's leading in your life. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time in your word, for your goodness toward us. Thank you, Father, that, that um, while there is certainly bad news, sin has caused separation and death. Oh, how good and how sweet the good news is. There's hope, real hope, lasting hope, forever hope in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray this morning for that person who might be sitting in this room who has never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus Christ, that today that person will come trusting you as Lord. And Father, for those of us who are your followers right now, I believe it, you're placing that name of one on our hearts and our minds that you want us to be a gospel witness to. 
one that we need to have a conversation with about their sinfulness and just show them from Scripture how they're rebelling against God and then offer real hope to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, would you lead us now to pray for that person? And would you lead us this week to begin to have a conversation with that person? Father, thank you that you're present with us, that you love us. Thank you for the work of grace you're doing even now in our lives. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet as we have a time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.